Imagine loving your life after 50 and feeling energized and excited about your future. Welcome to the Women in the Middle podcast, the podcast for women who are ready to figure out what they want and create the life they deserve. Here's your host and master certified life coach, Susie Rosenstein. Hey there, welcome back to the podcast, Women in the Middle. I'm your host, Susie Rosenstein, and I am so glad to be here with you again for this week's episode, which is another interview in my series called Getting Real with Women in the Middle. The Getting Real interviews introduce you to amazing women who have done something scary or big that they would never have predicted they would do. And now they are on the other side of it and they share their insights into what kind of thinking actually helped them move forward and make the big change. This week, I'm thrilled to welcome Rose Schmidt to the podcast. Rose had a pretty big wake-up call after very significant loss in her life. She knew she had to make a change, and that change had to do with employment. So, as a result, she went from being an employed psychology associate in a stable job for 25 years with a retirement package and everything. She worked in two different boards of education in Canada over that time period. She went from all of that to actually exploring who she was. Rose shares what it was like to make this big life-changing decision and actually figure out who you want to be. She needed to overcome her fear of going forward without being employed as she had been in the past and what it would be like for her to finally have the time to pursue things that she forgot how much she loved. As she let her need for creativity and helping people guide her, her life has changed dramatically, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. It is quite compelling. So enjoy the interview. Hi, Rose. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, Susie. It's so great to reconnect with you again. Oh my gosh. I have to say, I have just loved finding you again and being reacquainted with you. Uh, We haven't been in touch since grad school, way back in the 80s, and I think we have to thank Facebook for bringing us back together. So what happened was, years ago, about five years ago, you saw a post that I made when I was looking for free clients as part of my coach training, my life coach training, and you reached out. So can you tell me a little bit about what was going on back then for you? Because that is really what I wanted to talk to you about on the interview. Sure. Um, thinking back to that time, um, it was not um, it was not a great time in my life. I'd experienced some um, some loss. Um, my sister had passed away. I had my best friend um, diagnosed with a terminal cancer, and um, I was l- really questioning life. Um, how satisfied I was with my job. Uh, where things were going for me, um, being in the middle, looking at my age and what I'd done and where I was going. And it was really a time that um, I think we all have times where you kind of stop and look around and go, where am I? What am I doing? And this was a time where it really kind of hit me and stopped me. And I had to kind of figure this out. Oh my gosh, you explained that so well. That was such an intense time for you. And I know, um, I often call it a wake-up call, but usually it's one crazy thing that happens, but you had more than one. 
Oh, my God. I had a lady at one point say to me, sometimes it's people that, you know, they get hit by a bicycle or a car. Um, She said, you've been hit by a train. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes it is a big thing. Yeah, there was a lot going on for you. And you had that job for a a long time, right? Yeah, 25 years. Now, two different... um, um, school boards that I worked at uh, as a psychology associate. That was my degree. And so I think at one point, I thought just changing to a new job setting, but doing the same thing would be it for me and closer to home. And uh, didn't exactly prove to be true, but gave it a good shot. You know, what you're talking about was very similar to what happened to me. I was in my job 19 years And my job looked amazing on paper, just like yours did, Uh, but I was just there too long. And I remember you saying that you really did love the kids, but you were just there too long. You just weren't fulfilled anymore and started to feel stagnant. Yes, definitely, definitely. I hear that so much from my clients, uh, that feeling stagnant. It's funny. I don't know that I've ever said that word as much as I do now, as often as I, I talk about now, but it's very, very common. And the other thing I remember you talking about was that, you know, in this phase where you were looking around and really starting to think, what am I doing? Who am I? You had already started to really explore other activities and passions that, that really made you happy, like painting and horseback riding. I remember seeing on Facebook, you were posting these beautiful floral watercolors. And, you know, it just looked like such a beautiful expression. But then you explained that it was part of uh, the beginning of the searching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, um, you know, you look to kind of your hobbies that you have, um, things that you've always kind of wanted to dabble in a bit, if only had time. When I retire, if only had more time, I'd do this. Um, So there was always that. There was always kind of like a little dabbling here or there. Um, I think the thing is, when you get to that point where you say enough is enough, I got to do something different, you have in the back of your mind, it's like, can I make money selling those cute little paintings I put up on Facebook? Can I, (laughs) where does that income come in? And I I guess that's the scary part for, um, for me. um, And for a lot of people is like, if I leave this, it looks so good on paper, I have benefits, I have you know, a good salary. I have, you know, there was a retirement package that comes with that. Um, how well, do you speaking, to- speaking of retirement package, that is something that you kept talking about. So you were five yeah. years from pension. Yeah. And that uh, really put you in a spin about uh, what to do about that. Can you remember some of the ways that you were thinking about that? I, well, after my sister passed, there was some, some money and a little bit of investment that I was able to do. I did have a plan. I didn't really have a plan for what I was going to do other than explore who I was after, you know, you enter university thinking, who am I? What job am I going to do? All of the, the exploring. And then you just do it for this long. Who am I again at this stage of my life? So I wanted that pretty open-ended. I didn't really have a plan for that. But the financial end, you do kind of have to have a little plan. So I knew that in five years, um, I kind of looked at what the pension would be and that that was five years away, kind of looked at my investment and what that would give me. And then you kind of look at your day-to-day living 
And um, there had to be some sacrifices made there. So it was doable on paper, but is it livable? Right. So how long do you think you were thinking about whether or not you should go and crunching the numbers and, you know, and painting and horseback riding? And how long do you think that phase was? When my sister passed, I knew I had to do something that as part of that grieving process, I couldn't just carry on the way things were. I went back to work for a year, and I think it was that entire year that I kind of came to terms with it and and was thinking through things. And so it really took me a year of, of, I can't do this, (laughs) being back in the role, and then also thinking through how it was going to work and how it was going to look. Oh my gosh. And you said you started to look at your lifestyle. What did that mean for you? Looking at kind of the, the salary and looking at the things that I had in my life that I needed versus the things I had in my life that I wanted. And when I really started thinking about it that year, especially when you lose someone, um, you think I would give away just about anything I own to have that person back. So you start to look around in your life and you think, what can I do without? And there's a lot that um, you look at and go, you know, how much did I want that at the time? Do I really want that now or do I really need that now? So, um, you know, there's things that, that maybe don't get done in a year around the house, et cetera, that, that get put off for another year, et cetera. Uh, prioritizing things and, um, you know, just, just being happy, being less of a, a consumer, got to go out and get that latest, greatest new thing. What are some of the things that you realized you didn't need? Well, I don't need the wardrobe for work anymore. So <laughs> I can flip around in my uh, jeans and my sweats and my riding pants a lot. So that's great. Um, just updating things like, you know, um, even furniture, like, you know, do you get the new couch because the, you know, the trend isn't to this? Um, do you, um, I don't know. Uh, you know, it's hard to say, but it just, I I think that's the big thing is like when there's a thought to, I need to go and buy this, it's like, do you? Mm. does this still work for you and do you need to you know to go out and do do that so um yeah nothing I hear you (laughs) no no I hear you I hear you so were you able to stay in the same home yes I was absolutely yeah yeah that that the financial plan to the home was like that it was pretty much paid off at that point so that was nice that's awesome but again it's like you know you you move into a home and sometimes it's like oh, at this point in time, I should have a bigger home. At this point in time, I should have a bigger, better car. And it's like, no, this is a little house I started in and it does me just fine. So, uh, and I don't know if I could have made that decision, but maybe you need to downsize. Maybe you do have the big home. And if you downsize to something where you could pay off that mortgage, it would make it more doable. So, you know, that was definitely, the, the house and the mortgage would have been the big, big thing that, that, prevented all this, but it was close enough that it was a, I was able to do so. That's awesome. And that's really great advice to, to think, really think about lifestyle and the difference between what you want and what you need. 
And so one of the things that struck me about your story when we first reconnected five years ago was the way you kind of rediscovered writing. You want to talk about that a little bit? Because so many of my clients talk to me about wanting to write, but there's so much fear about writing. But your approach was a little different. It was. Uh, again, um, I kind of leapt in. I tend to leap in. Um, and then this is something new because, um, you know, this is what I've discovered in five years. Just jump in. Jump in and do it. See where that road leads you. And if it leads you to a dead end, you just back up and you go down another road and you keep working at it and life will keep presenting you with things. So the writing I jumped into, again, my friend who was terminal, when she entered hospice, um, we'd always wanted to write a book together. So I just started for her. I hadn't written creatively since probably university high school. Um, and I just jumped in. I didn't even think about it. You're going to write a book now. Um, and before she passed, I promised her I would publish this thing and now we can self publish. So it's not, um, it's not difficult. Um, but anyway, and, uh, so I did that. Uh, can I say that like creatively there were real highs during the process? Absolutely. Um, was it a huge struggle not having taken a course, not having written? Uh, sure it was. Did I make any money off of this book? Uh, the, the reality is um, very little, particularly when you self-publish. It's a big pool, but it's, there's a satisfaction to, you know, there's this book. It's got my name on it. What's and, the name of the book, Rose? Uh, the book was called The Wayfaring Swan, and it was a little romantic comedy. That's what we used to love watching together and reading together was that kind of romantic comedy. So. Um, and you know, then I left it. The book was part of my grieving process and when it was done, it was done. And I kind of put writing aside and was looking for that kind of next creative outlet. But again, um, when you sit there with a blank piece of paper, it's kind of like sitting there when you're thinking about leaving that job, there's this blank canvas, there's this sunrise horizon out there and how how scary is that whether it's a piece of paper or whether it's the rest of your life oh that's a beautiful analogy and one of the things that uh, you talked about was how even though that job like you were helping kids and everything that the job that you had for such a long time your whole career really sucked the creativity out of you yeah and there really wasn't a creative outlet no Right. And it sounds like you're gravitating so much right now to creativity. So can you talk a little bit about the realization that you know that you really needed to help people and you know that you needed creativity and mm -hmm. then now you don't have the job. So now you have the wide open canvas. What did you do? Well, I mean, the creative outlet and, and somehow gearing to the writing, uh, that life kind of steered me down that road when um, when Judy became sick um, but then I, I felt that creative need but again um, what do you do okay that the book was hard you've left that behind um, I ended up getting a camera again because way back when as a teenager again and a young adult um, I was writing a lot photography was was very much part of my life and so I enjoyed that for a time. But again, um, if you're looking at where do I make money, so many photographers I met through courses and things were like, this is just not a good way to make money. 
um, writers would tell you the same, the odds that you're going to make money. But I was happy. I was doing it. I was learning. I think for um, your listeners, it's the whole learning piece again. So to get back to that excitement of like a, a you know, school and a new career and and I loved school, so I love learning new things. And there's a creativity, regardless of if it's a creative outlet like photography, painting, etc. Learning new things, it, it was just very exciting to have that energy again. So that's so good because you remember the word that you used and the word that I used was stagnant. Yes. Right. And so what is being stagnant? What is feeling stagnant? Well, it's like you haven't learned anything in ages. You haven't met mentors. You haven't been excited about doing, about learning really. And so what you were starting to take baby steps in, it sounds like is the opposite of feeling stagnant. You were on the move. You were exploring again. You were meeting new people. And that is, that's so cool. So what you, um, it sounds like what you started to realize is that you hadn't figured out a way to make money, but it sounded like it wasn't pressing. It wasn't. And that's, um, you know, that was part of, of what, it was part of what allowed me to make that decision and to keep the, the, finding out who I was, exploring who I was, open-ended, was that, you know, that part was looked after a little bit for me. So it really, it really was just finding my way, finding my way and not getting discouraged when one thing didn't turn out. And I think perhaps if, if it had been more of a financial necessity, I would have gotten more stalled, if you will, and, and not been able to keep you know, moving because, okay, I need this money and I'm going to take this, this position and it gives me less time to do these other things. So it certainly is a big part of it. Right. Uh, but it didn't come without a price tag. You said that you really did take a look at your lifestyle absolutely. and see what absolutely. you could do to give yourself oh, that time. Absolutely. Yeah. And it is a trade off. Like you kind of look at, at, um, you see things differently and it's not a question of you can ever do this and not give things up. I think, you know, at least for a time being like to get moving again, you got to kind of throw some baggage out the car and out the window, you know, Uh, you, you know, and the more you do that, it it just seemed like the quicker things move. Like, and it's not to say I don't stagnate again. um, But to get moving, it's just like, get rid of that, whether it's emotional baggage or, you know, material baggage, get rid of it and get moving. What I really love about your story is the way that curiosity is playing a a significant role. And um, one of the things that comes up with my clients a lot is to, you know, a lot lot of people just don't know what they're passionate about. They're like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't even know what I'm excited about. What are my passions? I don't know. And I always advise to look back to childhood and to really think about what made you happy then. Where did you find joy? Even as a child, I'm a firm believer that what gave you joy when you were young will give you a clue as to what might give you joy now. And that curiosity, being open to opportunities and reflecting a little bit on what, what turned your crank when you were young. 
That's interesting that you use the word joy. And in some of our conversations, I hadn't thought, like you look back to, I would say, interests. So, um, you know, where did I get good feedback from teachers? What was I interested in? Yes, writing. Um, yes, photography. But when you talk joy um, as to where I am today, joy was always nature. Joy was always the farm. Joy was always being outdoors with animals. And now, in, in, in just hearing you reframe that a little bit for me, um, that's where the joy is coming again. So did I run out and buy a farm, et cetera? No. But now I'm moving into environmental issues. I'm moving into a passion for um, climate change and finding climate solutions and it's putting me in touch with like-minded people. It's putting me back in touch with that joy I had for the outdoors and the environment. And a piece that the creativity didn't allow was the helping. That's always been a big part of who I was, whether it was, you know, saving the kittens on the farm or working with the kids. And, and this seems to be allowing me to combine the creativity, the helping, and joy is a good word because I really didn't, you know, I can't say that writing was joyful. Yeah. <laughs> it's so damn hard. Um, but um, that is, that was the, that was the joy. And even when I look at my photography, um, it's nature. It's, I'm out in nature with the camera. Oh my gosh, your photography is so beautiful. And I do want to direct Anybody who wants to follow Rose on Instagram, she has beautiful photography. And I will, of course, put her Instagram link in the show notes, but it's Rider Who Writes. She is a horseback rider who writes, and it is just beautiful. So I love that you had that insight right uh, just now. And it, you're right, it kind of was the missing, it was what was missing. And it's the Absolutely. thing that kind of the overarching thing that brought everything together. And what's so amazing about your work with climate change is that you didn't plan on it. You didn't know that it was going to be the thing. Can you tell us a little bit about how you discovered this? Well, um, I ended up um, looking into, um, through social media, I was drawn to different environmental um, sites, causes, and there was a protest uh, about the Kinder Morgan pipeline two years ago, and it drew me back to our alma mater, the University of Guelph. <laughs> I was standing in front of the cannon, our lovely painted cannon. You have to be a Guelphite to understand what the cannon in the square means. Oh my gosh, it's a, it's a proper full-size cannon. <laughs> the students, they camp out. You know, I have a son there now, and he, oh. already, he already camped out. So you camp out to claim the turf, and then in the middle of the night, you paint the cannon to kind of put your stamp on it. So there you were at the cannon again. On a candlelight vigil, and there I was in the McKinnon building that we had classes in, sitting and listening and watching a, a video about Kinder Morgan. And on the drive home, it was it was uh, inspired evening, but it was also sad. I went, who, you know, who was that woman back then who did these things? And and what happened to her? And how do you get her back? So um, that was the start of just kind of pushing forward and finding like-minded people and finding my way. And for 
most people, climate change is a very um, scary thing. There's a lot of fear-based messages. There's a lot of it's too late. There's a lot of with some of our political leaders now, um, is anybody paying attention to this? What can I do as an individual? And I was fortunate enough to um, meet with a group just getting off the ground based on um, a book called Drawdown by Paul Hawken. And it's, it's a hopeful look at 100 solutions that if we can scale them up now, uh, in 30 years, we can achieve Drawdown, which is, is, is pulling that carbon out of the atmosphere and reversing global warming. So it's been um, not where in a million years I thought I would end up five years ago, but um, it, it kind of makes sense now in talking to you, <laughs> <laughs> looking at it. In some way, I think there has to be some faith in, in some bigger things, some faith in life, some faith in the people around you. And I think if you think of this as jumping off this cliff by yourself and doing this free fall into this life that you have no idea how this is going to look, um, you kind of grab on to people along the way. You let go and you grab on. And it's amazing new people that are in my life, amazing new energy. And, you know, you don't know. I didn't certainly anticipate being here five years ago. And who knows in five years where I'll be again. It's being open to the opportunities and the possibilities rather than being held back by the fear. Oh my God, you couldn't have said, you couldn't have said that better. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And I love that you mentioned the community and how important the community has mm -hmm. been. And I found that too. After I got laid off, I discovered a whole new community um, related to the life coach school where I trained. Mm -hmm. And um, part of the stagnation I was feeling was this lack of, of uh, professional community. Like I worked in an amazing place and there were tons of amazing people around there, but I didn't feel connected with the like-minded people the way, the way you're talking about it. And it has been such a rich part of my last five years um, in my new career. The mm -hmm. other thing is that I'm just so excited about, I'm not going to talk a lot about it on this podcast, but I'm going to be launching a new program and it is ex the focus of it is exactly what you were talking about. It's yeah. called 50 Unplugged, and it's all about celebrating opportunity in this phase of our lives. So I am super excited. I'll be talking about that in more detail on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. Um, oh, I look forward to that as well. That sounds amazing. So much fun. Actually, I'm not even sure when this podcast is going to go live. So I may have started talking about it by the time this podcast is live. But if you're listening, it's called 50 Unplugged. And you can uh, ask me more about it if you're interested. It will definitely be on my website in a couple of weeks. So uh, what a beautiful story. And um, the whole climate change thing what we can take from this story is that it wasn't on your radar yeah. at all. You knew that you were craving creativity. You knew that you needed to help. You were compelled to help. And you were very drawn with your photography to the outdoors. So what can you say about seizing the opportunity when it presented itself? I think it happened in little steps. So I think it's about, um, and, and I think of my sweet little mama when I asked her how she adjusted from 
you know, how she adjusted to being a widow in a little apartment and, and whatnot and, and how she's got this social life. I've never seen her before. And she said, you just say yes. <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean, Ma? And she's like, you just say yes to things. And I said, well, what if you don't like them? And she said, well, then you don't do them again. <laughs> So there's mama's wisdom in that, you know, you would look at meetings, you would look at opportunities, and I would think, oh, I'm really tired tonight, but this drawdown group is meeting. Well, let's go out and check that out. And, you know, if it's not for me, it's not for me. But you just start saying yes, and you just start exploring. And somehow, you know, if one thing isn't meant to be, you might meet someone at that particular group, etc., and you say yes to that, and you find yourself you know, in, in, you know, another situation and with another group of people and you just keep moving and saying yes to things instead of going, I've got a thousand excuses why I don't want to do that. Oh, it's always easier to stay home. That's for yes. sure. <laughs> it totally is. And that's part of the middle too, right? It's like, oh. God, I yeah. could go out and do that or I could just sit here. <laughs> <laughs> Women in the middle. Oh my God. Line, pet the cat and... <laughs> So the, um, the last thing I want to talk to you about, uh, I always like to ask a little bit about advice. And I know that your situation is, is not for everyone. You actually quit your well-paying long-term job without a plan. And I know that, you know, what works for you may not work for everyone. But I found your story so compelling because you really did have to do a lot of self uh, looking, looking at yourself and looking at your finances and understanding your fears and really assessing the impact of losing two amazing people in your life. So you noted in our pre-interview that if you had a plan and a time frame and the plan, if the plan didn't come to fruition, it may have actually discouraged you. Yeah. So what can you say about leaving it open-ended and how that helped you discover yourself again? Yeah, I'm a planner. Um, when, I write, when I was writing, I found out there were two kinds of writers, planners and pansters. And pansters just, and, and in a way, I just jumped in. But then I had to plan every chapter uh, meticulously. So I did have kind of a financial plan, but you're absolutely right. And I, I couldn't have, that's just in my nature of left without kind of knowing what the next five years were going to look like. Um, but leaving things open-ended, I don't know if I've ever done that in my life with regard to, you know, choices. Um, so I think um, the advice that I would give is, is to not like, I don't know, I just liken it to kind of jumping off this cliff. And there's no safety net. There's no, you're reaching around to try and, and feel anchors. Can I grab onto that tree? Can I grab onto, <laughs> like, what are those anchors in my life that I've always known? Whether that are, whether that is, um, you know, people, um, whether it's interests, whether it's, it's who you are. And I think, um, you know, that's a real scary thing. And, and fear-based um, thinking, it, it's, it's a lot of who I've been. <laughs> it's a lot of who a lot of people are. Things are nice and safe. So I think it's, it's, it's looking at giving yourself, not giving into the fear, but also recognizing that it's, it's there and how do you cope with that? 
Like, how do you, who do you go to? Where do you go to re-energize, to, to, to get that message that, you know, you're doing okay and this is going to be okay? Exactly. And you just have to jump. Yeah. So fear is an emotion just like any other emotion and it comes from our thoughts. So do you know what the thought was, the main thought that you kept thinking when you were leaping off that cliff? I think the thing that I kept thinking for the year prior to that leap was, I can't do this anymore. That was like a loop in my head. I can't mm. do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. I can't do this anymore. And being forced closer and closer to the edge of that cliff. And it's either you look back and you continue to take backward steps and do this some more. <laughs> or you're at the edge of that cliff and it's like, I can't, I really truly cannot do this anymore. And you jump. And I think that's what it was for me is during that year, getting little steps closer and closer and closer and really, truly in my heart of hearts going, I really can't like this. You were, if I, if I do this, anymore. it'll kill, oh, it'll kill you if you do this. Yeah. Like you were really like, connecting with your soul. Like I yes. just, you know, um, you know, you can't continue on and, and have the joy, as you said, the joy in your life. So, yeah. So good. So I would love to share your blog with the listeners of Women in the Middle. So you're drawing. lately, but. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's, there's so much good stuff on there. And I know that that's a way that people who are interested can keep up on your uh, updates about the work with climate Absolutely. change. Absolutely. I'd love people to come and have a, have a look and, and have a chat. That's awesome. So I will, of course, include the link in the show notes, but it's www.riderwhowrites.wordpress.com. But you can absolutely find the link in the show notes. And Rose's Instagram is writes. And if you're interested in reading the book, The Wayfaring Swan, I'll include a link on that as well. That's still available through Amazon, right? It is, yeah. Awesome. Rose, thank you so much for sharing your story. I think it's so interesting and so compelling and will resonate so much with others who are thinking, have I been in this job too long and what am I giving up of myself because I'm staying here because of fear? So it is just a great place to start those thoughts. And we end our climate meetings with a little phrase, it's not game over, and we all cheer. It's game on. So that's what it is to all of your listeners. It's not game over when you make these choices. It's game on. So you go and play. Oh, my gosh. That's the best place to end. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. Gives you a lot to think about, right? Do you fantasize about giving up your long-term job? Are you thinking that you need a big change but are afraid to try something new at this point in your life? or that the finances just won't work out? As Rose showed us, sometimes you can surprise yourself with the flexibility you actually have with lifestyle decisions and the difference between what you want and what you need. That's what I love about midlife. You just never know what opportunities might come your way or what opportunities you will create for yourself. There can be so much potential when you shift your thinking to that of being unstoppable versus being stopped by fear. When you wait for life to happen to you versus creating the life you want, it's a whole different ballgame, right? Life's just way too short to keep spinning about feeling stuck 
and what you should do about your job. If you feel like life's passing you by, you are not alone, and I can help you. Just go to www.susierosenstein.com and grab an appointment for yourself. I offer free consults. It's easy. Just hover over the About tab. You'll see free session on the drop-down menu. Click there, and you can book straight into my calendar. Super easy, and I can't wait to talk to you. Let's do this, ladies. Just jump in. One exciting learning opportunity at a time. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.